Well, hello, it's uh, Kim and Jamelin joining you again for One Thing More. Hi, everybody. Hey, Jamelin. Uh, I just know that you just came off of Giving Tuesday, so. It uh, is. Today's and today's December 1st. Uh-huh. Is that right? Oh, yeah, my gosh. I know. Today's December 1st. Yesterday was Giving Tuesday. And for those of you who don't know what Giving Tuesday is, it's a movement that started, you know, probably around 10 years ago. I remember someone calling me when I was working at St. Luke's mm-hmm. and saying, what are you doing on Give- for Giving Tuesday? <laughs> and I didn't know what they were talking about. I had to look it up. But it has been a movement that's really taken off. It's always the Tuesday right after Thanksgiving. So it's the nonprofit world's response to Black Friday, mm-hmm. kind of. And so um, it's a day of giving. And Sozami Fondwa, the organization that um, I founded and, and helped run, uh, we it's our biggest day of the year. So we had a goal to raise $60,000, which would be the equivalent of two houses. Uh-huh. So we build houses for, well, we hire Haitians to build houses for people living in Fondois, Haiti, and 60000 would be the equivalent of the cost for two houses. Mm-hmm. And we raised $49,000 yesterday. It was amazing. Yeah. So and you're not done. We're not done. And Kim's <laughs> going to write me a check for $11,000. <laughs> <laughs> right here in front of us on camera. We'll when wait. I win the lottery, we'll wait while you I get the checkbook. Play, oh, I know. Way. Yeah. Tell Byron. <laughs> yeah. He can just send the check directly. I'll, I'll, I'll talk. So with him I am it. a little bit exhausted because um, I know for people who know me really well, I tend to be extroverted. But um, since I've had some surgeries over the summer, I don't. I don't always have the same um, energy. Yeah. Level. We'll get through it. We'll get through it together. Um, we're going to talk about the sermon from Sunday, though, which was the beginning of Advent, which is kind of my favorite time of the Christian year. It's actually the beginning of our calendar. It's it not is. the end like it is in secular in the secular world. So, And the liturgical colors are gorgeous. They are. Everything's beautiful. What are you, you a bl- I was going to say, are you a... Because <laughs> for those of you, the liturgical colors are either a blue or a purple. purple. And it's like... A whole thing out there in the clergy world. Which color do you go with? Yes. I've always been at churches that do purple, purple but I love blue. Yeah, I like the blue, too. Because I have a beautiful blue stole with the yeah. different Advent candles. Preachers get, we all get real excited about our stoles. Kim actually collects stoles. I used to have a wall of stoles when we, in my Yeah, office. when we worked together, yeah. she had a wall of stoles, yeah. and I'd like to go look at them. And yeah, it's a, it's a clergy nerd thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But we are loving the blue yes. here at uh-huh. Zionsville for Advent. But um, we began our Advent series, which is up close and in person, right? Yes. Is that right? Up close and in person. I wanted to say up close and personal, personal, right? Yeah. But uh, which God is too. But I like that instead of using the theological word incarnation. Um, yeah. Just make it like, just make it plain. Just say what it is. Say so, what it is. Yeah. God yeah. wants to meet us up close and in person. And, um, Pastor Dave started out talking about incarnation and that it's the shared vulnerability that God wants to share with us uh, in all our vulnerabilities and that to come as a infant and human infants are so helpless for so long, yeah. <laughs> unlike the cult, right, which is raising its head and walking and running within hours of yeah. being born. Like we need the help of those people around us. And so God came as this helpless infant to illustrate for us that God Someone is... Someone had to hold his head. Yeah, yeah. 
For a long time. For a long time. <laughs> yeah. And that God is there to help us hold our heads up for ever, forever. And then, um, do you want to say something? Well, I was, um, no. Okay. And the <laughs> <laughs> well, the part I really, the, the next thing that really stuck out for me was authority and vulnerability going together. And it just was like, oh, man, if everyone who was in an authoritative position wherever and whatever that would mean would also enter it with some vulnerability. Yeah. How different the world might be. Well, and, you know, I love um, Adam Grant. Um, he's, you can Google Adam Grant. He does all kinds of workplace um like psychology and that kind of thing. And he has been really hammering this point lately um, about how if you're leading an organization and always leaning on authority for the way to get people to do what you want them to do, then you're really missing out on something. And I've thought about that even just as parenting. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think the parenting model like my generation grew up with was that mom and dad were always right and even if they weren't right they couldn't let the kids know they weren't right mm -hmm. because then they would lose credibility in front of them mm -hmm. and i have found you know a number of times even like raising my own kids where you know i'm struggling with something and i'll say i'm not really sure what the answer is right now if you give me some time to think about it because i feel like mm -hmm. if they're not really sure if sometimes if they see that their mom's not 100% sure on something, mm -hmm. then it gives us all like license to, to be vulnerable, to say, I'm not really sure what the right answer is here. I may need to ask somebody else or let, you know. And it's, yeah, and I think it's also um, an example of and an opportunity to collaborate with them. Right. You know, that they, like, they can come to you and you can problem solve together that you don't have all the answers and you might not even need to because they might already like really have the answer you guys just need yeah. to sort of toss it around well and I think too if you're a boss you're running an organization if I worked for someone who was like you know and showed some vulnerability when like we were going through a really difficult time it goes I would way. like that would go a lot further for me yeah, a lot further yeah plus it shows you trust those people around you enough to be able to say I'm gonna let you see this side of me yeah, and people get to use their specific giftedness, right. right? Like if I don't, I have a team because my team has gifts I may not have or those gifts are stronger for yeah. them than they are for me. And they're there to use their own giftedness. And so why would I not welcome that? Well, and I think when people in an authority show vulnerability too, it creates such an immense amount of trust mm -hmm. that, it, you know, if I'm working for someone and they say, they're struggling. I'm like, oh, they trust me mm -hmm. to be able. So when you think about it in terms of Jesus, yes. you know, like, especially when you think about what at the time when Jesus was born, I mean, the Israelites, the Jews thought the person who was going to save them was going to come in on a, you know, in a tank. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. really just take over and squash all of the people who had been oppressing the Jews. Mm -hmm and show immense authority and the fact that it was completely flipped upside down. Yeah, exactly. That it was a baby. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about Herod saying, all the babies have to die now. Right. I mean, how, <laughs> how little vulnerability could he have possibly shown? Yeah, 
exactly. Because it's, the king of the, you know. Was it's total top-down. Total top-down, yeah. Total top-down, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and to think about, like, that God does come in all this vulnerability, and, and so we have uh, a license to be exactly who we are uh, with God and, and be accepted and loved and um, saved, you know. Yeah, it is interesting to think about what's it mean to be Christ-like. And in so many times when we say, you know, I want to be the hands and feet of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. We always think in terms of serving mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't really think, well, to be Christ-like also means to be incredibly vulnerable. Yes. To not always win. Which is one of the scariest things for humans, I think. Ugh. It's like it's really hard to be vulnerable and say, like, I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling, and I need some help. Can you help me? Well, and that's even, you skip ahead now to the end of Jesus' life, which Dave talked about a little uh -huh. bit, too. Like, you know, who do the, who are you? They kept saying, who are you? And he could have at any minute said, yeah. instead, he's, I am who you say I am. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah. that's his chance to say, who am I? Right. You don't know Let who I am. Let me tell you who I am. Which, yeah. I'll tell you who I, I, I am. I see myself going oh, there totally. in a second. Yeah. Um, do you not know who I am? Right. Excuse me. <laughs> Exactly. I'm the one you give the best table to. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's at, like, the, another thing that stood out for me was that compounding debt. Like, when you think about Jesus came as a, as a helpless infant, and his whole life was about service and giving and <laughs> making space for, I mean, just think about all that time with the disciples. I mean, it blows my mind because I know I wouldn't have been nearly as grace-filled as, <laughs> yeah. as Jesus was with them, you know, every day, day after day. But he continually is vulnerable and is available and is, is showing people who he is. Um, and that compounding debt thing, and I just in my mind I can see that, the clicker, like, you know, dollar, 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 oh. dollar, dollar, dollar. Oh, this is when Dave was talking about, the, like, the national debt. Yeah. He was saying, yeah. in his mind, he can see the yeah. the debt just building, building. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah, and that it's compounded over generations and generations and generations, and it continues to compound, and that we are, and it's incredible. It's, I mean, I'm awestruck that God is willing to take on all of our debt um, because God loves us that much. It's, um, you know, my favorite Anne Lamont quote is how she describes grace. And she says, grace is the glue that puts the broken pieces of our life back together. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that compounding debt, uh -huh. that it's all paid for uh, yeah. with just this like little certificate of grace in some mm -hmm. ways, you know, mm -hmm. like, here you go. Yeah, it, and that's it. Here you go. It's mm -hmm. just offered to you. Like, you don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't earn it, so, because it's it's freely given. You said something, too, that I thought about, you know, about the disciples, Jesus being with the disciples. And, you know, that was really our, one of our, besides, like, Moses and Joshua and some other cases in the Old Testament, but this is, like, in the New Testament, this is the first team leading Circum, uh, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh, yeah, and I'm sure there that. was a number of times he wanted to be like, I'm just, you guys, I'm exhausted with you. I need you to go away. <laughs> I think that that happened. It just didn't make the book. Yeah, that's true. When he said, I need to go away and pray, yeah, exactly. it was more like, because I want to, 
you fools are driving there me crazy. There was a lot more to that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That was just a... Quit asking who's going to sit next to me and just get on board with yeah, what we're doing none here. None of you right now. Yeah, none of you get to sit next to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking the car by myself. Exactly. <laughs> Don't let me have to come back there. <laughs> Don't let me um, So, yeah, so j- just all the ways that, that Christ has, you know made a way for us and uh, the thing too like (laughs) speaking of the disciples and waiting and who's going to get to sit next to him um standing firm for a decade that part of the sermon I was like "Mm, that's a long time so King Ahaz King Ahaz had a little bit of patience I guess maybe I wonder though like how much the interaction with the prophet was like he was like Listen, just do what I'm saying, not, you know, because 10 years is a long time, especially when you feel like your your leadership or your authority is at risk, you know, while you wait. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every morning he's kind of waking up wondering. Is, and so the enemy when, might maybe, uh-huh. like, moves in, and he's like, what, you want me to wait for 10 years? Like, what? Yeah. Like, I don't see anything happening. Uh, that, you know, is a show of faith also. I'm good to wait about a day, day and a half. Sometimes, if I'm real busy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it does make me think about when you you think about your life, you know, what are the, as a 10-year span Mm -hmm. in your own life that you thought, well, that was basically what I was doing, was waiting, I just didn't. Yeah. I wouldn't put it in that. And, and, you know, when you study human development, it goes in like 10-year, you know, after, you know, once you get to your 20s, you look at like 10-year blocks of time and you know in your 20s there are some tasks that you need to get done in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s there are all these these um decade of tasks that you're sort of finishing up so it goes fast while you're in it but even if you like as a tw- when you're 20 you think 30 is pretty like that's old like what 30 yeah you know because that that is a long I cannot time. be bothered with a 30 year old when I'm 20. Yeah. I'm at Purdue. Right. I'm that, cute as a button. Right, exactly. <laughs> Full of energy. Full of energy. No, uh-huh. very little about anything, but you think you so know everything. So stressed, though. About, oh my gosh. From, when I worked at a college counseling center, I used to want to say, just do I your know. homework. I know. <laughs> you know, but yeah. It you is can't funny, say that. though, at the different stages of life, what you're able to take on. But I would say, like, from 25 to 35, that was a period of my life where I got married, I was having children, we were moving, mm-hmm. you know, like waiting, waiting, waiting to figure out what is this all going to actually look like. And then I remember yeah. around 35, I still wasn't 100% sure, but I was a little more settled. Yeah, yeah. And when you get 65, which I'm not yet, you're a lot more settled. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's amazing what happens when your kids leave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Come back and visit. Yeah, those commercials where your room gets turned into something <laughs> yeah, else right. from real life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and um, do not fear. Okay, you know. I won't. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> if it was that easy, right? Only like because you said, said so. Like 25 to 35, you got all those things happening and somebody says, Jamelin, just like, just chill out. Like, don't be afraid of what's going to happen uh-huh. next, because it's going to happen. You know, just just lean into it. You know, just just let it unfold. How many of us can do that? Well, my heart rate has gone up quite a bit just <laughs> listening to you say that. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. Now that my kids are getting older, I feel like I have a lot more worry about them, about this next stage of life. You know, like, where will they go to college? Will they go to college? What will they go to trace? I mean, you know, like, what's mm-hmm. going to be the next step in, sorry, in their life? For me, at the stage where we are, our next 10 years are getting kids through high school and college. Mm-hmm. That's a lot different than that 25 to 35, which was getting married and having kids. Yeah. I mean, now we're launching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is a lot different. And the do not fear mantra probably need to be said often. 365 <laughs> times the Bible says do not fear. Somehow I graduated with a Master's of Divinity and did not know that until I know, Sunday. and John knew that. John did. John and knows everything, did, yeah. so that doesn't I really count. Like, hmm, it says it 365 I was like, 365? That's how many days of the year we have. <laughs> I wonder if that's coincidental People should make not. a calendar about that. I'm sure they have. Oh, uh, yeah. And if not, they will now, right? Now they will. <laughs> uh, patent pending. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so the do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. You know, I always think about how Jesus is very specific about saying the world will give you trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not the world. You may have some troubles. You may not. It's the world will. Yeah, yeah. But I will give you peace. Yeah. You know, and so for me, the do not fear, it's not so much a fear. It's just this worry of chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, worry can lead to fear. They're kind of, they can be all muddled up together. Um, because when you're worried, you're fearful about something. When you're anxious, you're fearful yeah. about something, right? And fear can be the most paralyzing thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people that aren't, you know, what? how did Dave define a vulnerability? The risk of, not exactly sure. it's on your notes. Please hold it, people. It's right here. <laughs> Oh, it was mine. It was like a risk of taking a chance uh-huh. or something. And when you think about vulnerability that way, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Um, it is a big risk, right? Because you're kind of putting yourself out there. Yeah. So if you allow fear to paralyze you, really what you're doing is blocking any opportunity to be vulnerable and in relationship right? and in relationship yeah because if, if you are vulnerable with me you risk rejection but if I don't reject and I'm here for you then you know you've gained a, you know, a deeper relationship well I whenever I think about this too I think about the first time you tell like a significant other that you have feelings for them mm-hmm. You know, and there's that feeling that goes through your body where you're pretty sure you're going to throw up, but you're not sure, you know, and because that's like your body. Well, that your engagement story was part of that. Oh, that's right. It was. (laughs) But I mean, it's like the fearfulness of I'm going to be vulnerable with this other person in Uh a way that I won't be able to walk it back. Yeah. 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 You Mm -hmm. know, you could say, oh, I really love you. And they kind of thank you. Right. That's not what what are you supposed to say? Uh, I was just joking. (laughs) Just kidding. It's, Is that all you have to say? It's too late. <laughs> right, it's out. Right, right, yeah. Um, and so fear can stop you from taking that risk of being vulnerable, mm-hmm. and then you may not have that other person in your life as a result of yielding to fear. Yeah, I wish we could err on the side of being vulnerable and being open and maybe helping somebody else to do that, even if it, your vulnerability is rejected or resisted, that you've shown someone how to be vulnerable 
and that you don't take it as a personal slight or as a, a some, yeah. you know, deficit in you because you were vulnerable. I feel like this is this vulnerability is something that we talk about now all the time, I do too. more so than ever. And I don't know if part of it is after the pandemic, after COVID-19 took over, we all found ourselves in a very, mm-hmm. you know, fragile state yep. that we had to start talking about vulnerability being okay so people knew it was all right. Yeah, and I because I think we all, I mean, we've all been traumatized and we all have some, we all have more anxiety than we had before, whatever that looks like. If you thought you didn't have any, you had some, but you have more than you had before, right? And that's kind of on top. I mean, we're leading with that. So I think we're talking about it. Well, the fact that you can't find a therapist anymore that's taking new patients yeah, you're right. That's very telling. It's, yeah, it is. For sure. It's, it's great, and it's that people are getting support. Um, yeah, and it's it's difficult that it takes a long time or, you know. So if, you know, we just remember do not fear, mm-hmm. then everything will be fine. Well. <laughs> that's how, is good. That's how I do therapy. Bible reading <laughs> is good. I look for and. the formulaic answer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And then I check that off and I move on with my day. It's all good. You got to do some practicing. (laughs) Might need to, you know. The do not fear, remembering do not fear, I feel like that arms you for the day. I do too. And I, you know, I just am like so inspired and awestruck and honored to hear Karen's story. Oh, Karen. And, you know, amazing. There had to be a lot of fear a lot of days. And she chooses to know and be sure that God is with her in this. And even if she doesn't know reasons or whys, that, you know, God is certainly with her. And I mean, like, she's amazing. Dave's right. If you haven't had a chance to hear Karen's story, please go to the website and listen to her story. She is an amazing Amazing. testimony of allowing fear to be a Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's just, only natural that you yeah. would be fearful, mm-hmm. but not having it be the thing that defines you. Right. Because when somebody tells you, oh, we're going to we're going to try this thing and it might work and it might yeah, not work, not. you know, um, there's got to be some fear in that. But she's chosen to know that God is with her in all things. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Definitely go look at that part of the sermon. I suggest you look at all of it, but um, definitely look at that part. Um And so I think this kind of brings us to a natural conclusion for today. But before we end, we um, always have a mug. And today we have these beautiful handmade mugs from Ale Wine Pottery. And they are a gift to us from Ramona. So Ramona, thank you and a shout out to you. Uh, But I uh, wanted us to sort of end with this note uh, from the, the, what do you call a a potter? A a potter. The potter. His name is Robert ale wine and this note accompanies his pottery it says i graduated from high school in 1972 with a love for art with no particular direction i made a pot in a college art class and i was hooked doing something at age 19 that no one else around you is doing has its own special charm and i hit it as hard as i could throughout the 70s i studied with bob monroe charles counts and lewis snyder connie and i married in 1975 
1983, she and I, with two little girls in tow, moved to Gatlinburg, Tennessee to begin a life journey. Our son, Mark, was born in 1984. This life of trying to make something beautiful from a ball of clay has had its ups and downs with plenty of stress, but the sense of satisfaction in seeing our business work and all the friends we have made over the years has made all of those sleepless winter nights somehow worth it. Now our children have their own children, and I hope that they all will see through our life that if you have a dream, work hard, and trust God, it can be done. And our mugs say thankful and blessed. blessed. So thanks, so Ramona. Thanks, thanks, Ramona. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next week.